Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Philippians. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day.
There was Jesus. He's everywhere. Help us all to recognize him in everything. He's there. There he was. Jesus is always with us. He promised he'd never leave us nor forsake us. We leave him. He doesn't leave us. But he always welcomes us back with open arms because his unconditional love for us never fails. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you for loving us even when we can't love ourselves or anybody else. How's everybody doing tonight, all right? Good to see everybody. I got to get a smile out of everybody. It's a really great, it was a beautiful day, wasn't it? Beautiful day, beautiful song, beautiful voice, beautiful people, beautiful church, amen? Grace Stone is alive and well. That's it, one body. That's right, we're all going to keep this going. That's right. We all we all have a part in this. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Let us turn our Bibles. We are using the black Bibles in the pew, so please help yourself to them. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. I'm going to begin there tonight before we go into our study of Philippians. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Just a reminder, the Holy Spirit is going to be taken over as I start reading the scriptures. So please prepare your hearts to receive the message that the Spirit is trying to say to the church tonight. Amen? Amen. Okay. The devil's going to try to block you. Don't let him. The kingdom forcefully advances. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We fight the devil with scripture, not with the flesh. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. She's going to verse 5, back up to 1. Second <laughs> Corinthians 12, verse 1. Apostle Paul is the only one that's seen the risen Christ in heaven. He, he was caught up. He's going to explain it here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. In Christ, who was caught up in the third, to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. So Paul said he had a experience that he wasn't sure if he was in his body or out of his body. You know, it, was a cra it must have been like a crazy experience, right? He couldn't explain it. Yes, only God knows. Verse 3, whether I was in my body or outside my body, but I know, but I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. And I just want to just mention the reason why Paul saw the risen Christ in heaven, because he was going to go to write in 13 epistles of the Bible, and he had to get a revelation that was to prove that Jesus was real. Because what he had to go through was going to have to, he was going to have to get real evidence of what's going on. Anybody that gets called to serve the Lord 
get special revelations from the Lord to coach them along the way, to reassure them that what we are doing is real and it's alive. And amen for that. That experience, verse 5, is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I'll boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was giving a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Now, God always gives us a thorn in the flesh to keep us from getting too spiritually proud, to keep us from reaching for Christ daily. And you have to come to that realization that that's the way it has to be because human beings are naturally prideful. So he has to keep us reaching for him. So he's going to put a thorn in your flesh, whether it be a person or a sickness or an illness. He's going to do something to keep you reaching for him so you do not walk away from him. Can I get an amen for this? You have to understand these principles to walk the Christian walk. Now, he said, three different times, look at verse 8. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. So, the Bible says, as a Christian in the spirit, we don't boast about the things we can do. We boast about the things we can't do. You see, it's a whole shift. We don't be prideful. We, we show our weaknesses that we can't do it without Christ. So Christ can work through us. Amen? It's a prideful, God can't work in a prideful state. He works in a humble state, knowing that anything good that comes out of us after we get saved, God gets the glory, not the flesh. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is very weak. And if it wasn't weak, we wouldn't need a savior. So that's why Jesus saved us, so we could accomplish the things that he planned for us long ago. Amen? Amen. Now, three different times <laughs> he begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Now look what he says here. A shift in his perception. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in, my, in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. Right? So Paul said there was nothing good in him in his sin nature in Romans 7. He knew it, and he knew everything that he did was to glorify God, to live for Jesus Christ. Amen? And after you get saved... It's the same reason for each and every one of us. God saves us not to serve ourselves, but to serve him and bring other people into the kingdom. The problem is most Christians want to go want their life and this life. It doesn't work that way. That's why you see a bunch of miserable Christians. You can't have both. You love one and hate the other. Okay, I'm getting amen for this. Amen. 
So once you decide to die to yourself and make that choice and let the resurrected Christ get into your life, it will be the best choice you will ever make. And get a big amen for that. And that's why you're sitting in Bible study tonight, because you want to know more about this Christ that can save us and take away our sins. Now, I was going to go right into Philippians, but there's something this Spirit just prompted me to, to go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I don't know. I can't, you know, I can't. Uh, let the Spirit speak, amen? Let us always be reminded in 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 13. Give me a minute to get there myself. Is everybody with me so far tonight? Good. All right, I'm going to start in verse 1. And when I get to chat, when I get to verse 4, guess what? We're going to read this together. How's that sound? Pretty good? Yeah. We're going to do this as a family. All right. All right. Verse 1. If I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Are we ready? Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. How about a big amen for that? That's the love of God. Now you have to understand this one principle. That love is inside each and every one of us now. When you tell somebody you love them, that's what it's supposed to mean. Keep no record of being wronged. Never losing faith. Always hopeful. Right? Gentle. Keeps no record of being wronged. A lot of scorekeepers in Christianity. Somebody does something to offend them, they put it in the bank. The Bible says when you wake up every morning, you forget what happened yesterday. And you love your brothers and sisters. And the Bible even tells us if you're offering your gift at the altar and, you hit, and somebody has something against you, go fix that relationship before you come to church. That's how it's important, God, is with relationships. Amen? Because if your relationship with God is good, then your relationship with other people will be good. That's the barometer. That's, the, that's, the, that's what we go by. Amen? So... Does anybody having any problems with look resentment and, and spirituality do not mix. If you if you have resentment or bitterness towards someone, you will not ever experience the spirit of God in you. How about a big amen for that? All right, that was beautiful, right? 
But the Bible says, <clears throat> this Bible, when you read the Bible, what it means is it's to give you that kind of love. That's what it teaches you, to love unconditionally, to become Christ-like, not to become smarter or, or a scholar. It's to become humble, gentle, and teachable. A lot of people get spiritual pride in them, which the Bible, Jesus hated spiritual pride because the Pharisees, they thought they had it all going on, right? But inside they were full of dead men's bones, full of self-indulgence and every kind of wickedness. That's what religion does. But when you have a relationship with Jesus, it's what? Gentle. Jesus was washing the apostles' feet. Okay, the God of the universe was washing feet. So when we get called to serve God, we get called to serve others, not to get served. Amen? You have to get that principle right. Either you want it or you don't. I learned that myself. I'm here to serve you, not for you to serve me. The world has it the other way around. They honor the leaders. The leaders honor the people in the spiritual world. I work for you. I work for Jesus. Every day. He crucifies my flesh every day, a little bit more every day. <laughs> Everybody get my drift here? All right, let's turn to uh, <laughs> God sends the sandpaper, right? Certain people he puts in your life to sand you down and make you become like Jesus. Don't think that, they, don't think that they're not there for a reason. They will not go away. God put them there to sand you down and change you. They're not going to change. You are. And until you do, they'll be around for a long time. So if you're smart, you'll get, you'll get the hint and change. And then maybe, maybe they'll move, God will move you on to something better. But until then, get used to it. <laughs> Make peace with the sandpaper. Okay. Before we go into Philippians 1, I just want to lay a little groundwork. Okay, the joy of the Christian experience is the dominant theme running through the book of Philippians, okay? The words joy and rejoice are used 16 times in this epistle, okay? Author, Philippians is one of the Apostle Paul's four prison epistles. It was written about A.D. 62 while Paul was imprisoned in Rome, okay? The Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians to express his gratitude and affection for the Philippian church, his strongest supporters in his ministry. Okay? Scholars agree that Paul drafted the epistle during his two years of house arrest in Rome. Okay? Paul had established the church in Philippi approximately 10 years prior during his second missionary journey recorded in Acts chapter 16. His tender love for the believers in Philippi is apparent in this most personal of Paul's writings. Okay? The church had sent gifts to Paul while he was in chains. These gifts were delivered by Epaphroditus, a leader in the Philippian church, who ended up assisting Paul with ministry in Rome. At some point, while serving with Paul, Epaphroditus became dangerously sick and nearly died. Okay? After his recovery, Paul sent Epaphroditus back to Philippi, carrying with him the letter to the Philippian church. Besides expressing thanks to the believers in Philippi for their gifts and support, Paul took the opportunity to encourage the church concerning practical matters such as humility and unity, 
The apostle warned them about Judaizers, Jewish legalists, and gave instructions on how to live a joyous Christian life. The book of Philippians conveys a powerful message about the secret of contentment. Although Paul had faced severe hardships, poverty, beatings, illness, and even his current imprisonment, in every circumstance he had learned to be content. The source of his joyous contentment was rooting and knowing in his deep relationship with Jesus Christ. Big amen. When you develop a mature relationship with Jesus Christ, it does not matter what's going on in your life. You are joyous because you know that God's in control. He has your back and he's going to get you through. Amen? That's why we have to mature spiritually. Instead of falling apart, we stay stable through all the trials in life. Because the Bible doesn't say that these things are going to get taken away. He says he's going to give you the power to handle it. Amen? So we have to understand that some of the things in our lives might never go away on this side of heaven. So we have to make peace with it and get used to it. Like I said before, it's like traffic, okay? I really get, traffic gets to me. It's just one of my weaknesses. Red lights, traffic, people don't move. It's, it's, it just gets me. So now, what am I going to do? If traffic isn't going anywhere, as a matter of fact, it's getting worse. If I can't make peace with the traffic, I'm going to be miserable all the time, correct? It's the same thing with anything else in any believer's life. Everybody in this room has weaknesses, okay? Not just me. So whatever it is, you have to get used to it because God's saying, I'm going to change you through the circumstance. When I got to get somewhere fast, what does he do? He puts a school bus in front of me. <laughs> and then after the school bus turns, I got somebody 85 years old in front of me. <laughs> and they're only doing 15 miles an hour. When I need to get to work doing 35, God says, we'll get up 15 minutes early then. Yeah. I'm still learning that principle. I still can't get it. <laughs> <laughs> but you get, get what I'm saying, right? I have to make peace with the things that irritate me, these little irritants. I have to make peace with them. If I don't, how am I going to have any joy and peace in this world? If I don't accept my wife, if I don't accept people where they're at, if I'm always thinking that I'm waiting for them to change, God's saying, no, they're not. I'm not waiting for them to change. You change. You need to change, not them. Because other than that, you're going to be miserable waiting for them to change, which they never might. We can't even change ourselves, never mind somebody else. So God says to learn how to accept that and be content wherever he has you. That's what maturity is all about. Being level in every event and situation in your life. Can I get an amen for this? Amen. Instead of falling to pieces. We don't come to church just to come to church. We come to church to change and become Christ-like. And be able to handle all the pressures that the unbelieving world can't handle. Can I get an amen for this? All right, let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. We left off in verse 19 last week, and if you want to get back into the study where we started, just go back into the, um, the website and listen to the services. They're still there. I can't go backwards. <clears throat> We're in verse 20, and I'm going to expand on it as we go, but I'm going to read a few scriptures down for us and then expand on it, okay? So... Whenever you don't see it in the, in, the, in the book, that's because I'm expanding on the scriptures, okay? So you don't get confused. All right. We're going to go in verse 19 first. Apostle Paul speaking here to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. For I know 
that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Paul was in prison in Rome, waiting, didn't know if he was going to live or he was going to die. But he said, I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. He knew that God was going to deliver him some way or somehow. That's, his, that's how mature he was. He understood that God put him in the prison for a reason. To get others saved. Wherever God puts you, he puts you there to get other people saved. He doesn't tell you to just move around to make your life better. He puts you in situations, God wants you to get somebody saved. That's what he puts you there for. So you stay there, you put your spiritual antennas up and say, all right, who's God sending before me that wants me to help them? Get to the kingdom. Instead of complaining about it, you shut your mouth and you do it. Instead of saying, oh, they don't deserve this and I don't deserve that. Listen, we deserve judgment, the Bible says. We don't deserve anything good for what we do in our sin nature. Can I get an amen for this? All right, this is a real church. We talk the truth here. We're in a hospital to heal from ourselves, which is the problem altogether. Look at verse 20. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ, as I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Well, that's the height of spiritual maturity. Dying for a Christian, a mature Christian, is the desert of life. Now let's go to 22. Now here he is, he's conflicting with his own himself here. He says, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, see? Because he thought if he died, he was selfish. So I really don't know which is better, okay? I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. See what he says? It would be far better for me to go home to be with the Lord. Then he said in verse 24, but for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. You see it? He said, it's not about me. It's about him. So it's better that I live so I can bring others into the kingdom. You see, that was a selfless statement that he made. Get amen here. Amen. Now look at verse 25. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you. He didn't say, I continue to remain alive so I can have a better life and make more money down here. He said, to remain alive so I continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Big amen there, right? So I adopted the same circumstance. I live for God. I come to church. I study the Bible. I teach the Bible. My whole life revolves around Jesus. Because I gave my life over to him. You see, you can't have both. You come to church and you want God to be a genie and bless you in all your life. He blesses you when you bless others. That's how it works. It's easier to give, it's better to give than it is to receive. So when you're on the giving end of it, you experience the joy and contentment that, that, that only Jesus Christ can give us. Amen? Amen? 
You don't get contentment by receiving. You get contentment by giving your life over to God. Big amen there, right? And then we got to grow up spiritually. Though. That's why God has to teach us how to what? Say no to self and yes to him. Not what I want, Lord, but what you want. Remember Jesus said, Lord, please, can you take this cup of suffering for me? He says, but nevertheless, not my will be done, your will. If Jesus had become obedient unto death, all of us would be dead in our sins right now. Amen? Okay. And he wants us all to be like that. And that's what he's working on us. We're all, he's overhauling us. Amen? Oh, boy. We all need a big overhaul, don't we? We wish we could just defrag, though, and just hit the button and change. But this doesn't go that way. It doesn't work that easy. Change is not easy. The creature's a habit. Okay. <laughs> now look what it says in verse 7, 27. Live as citizens of heaven. Above all, he's talking to, he's talking to us tonight, by the way. He's talking to this church. This, the book right now is talking to, right here at Greystone. He's talking to us right now, so listen up. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of all Christ. Then whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Right? We're all come to church, we're in unity in the spirit. We all have the same goal to become like Jesus Christ. When we come here in the spirit, we find no wrong with anybody. Amen. Nothing. Nothing wrong with anybody, nothing wrong with the church, nothing wrong with anything. Because we're in the spirit where we are very accepting in that. Just like Jesus accepts us. Amen? Amen. That's why it says leave your flesh at the door when you come to church. So we can all get along, right? Because of a very diverse crowd. Now, look at verse 28. And I'm going to come back and expand on these things before we move on. Trust me. Verse 28. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Okay? This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed. But that you are going to be saved. Even by God himself. For you have... Now, listen to this. Now... Verse 29, I want you to get this principle, okay? Listen up. This is very important for all of you to get this principle that Paul is teaching us right now. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. You understand this? It is a privilege and an honor to suffer for Jesus Christ. Can I get any amen for this? He's talking to us here. This is real. Times are getting dark out there. And we are going to, if you want to live right in this kind of a world, you are going to suffer here. Because people are not going to like you shining light on their darkness. Even Christians. Even Christians that live for themselves do not like Christians that are living for Jesus. Because it sheds light on them and they get angry. They say, oh, that's being legalist. Look. Legalism, living right is not legalism. Living right is what Jesus Christ calls us to do. So what, we can bring others into the kingdom, amen? We, do, we deny ourselves for the benefit of others, and we do things so other people won't stumble because of us, amen? That's a selfless act from God, okay? Now look at this in verse 30. 
We are in this struggle together. Can I get any men for this? Listen, church, we're in this together. When one part suffers, all the parts suffer. When one part rejoices, all the parts rejoice. We don't get jealous of one another, what they're doing for God in the church. No, if somebody does something for the Lord, hallelujah. It doesn't matter who does it. It's the spirit leading this church, not the flesh. We don't get jealous of what somebody else is doing. Jealousy is not from God. That's the, from the devil. It says it in um, James, right? Jealousy and selfish ambition of not God's ways. They're unspiritual and demonic. Jealousy is not from God. All right, now let me just back up and expand on a couple of things before we move on to chapter 2. Can I get an amen here? Yeah. All right, in, verse, in chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, this was not Paul's final imprisonment in Rome, okay? But he didn't know that. Awaiting trial, he knew he could either be released or executed. Okay? However, he trusted Christ to work it out for his deliverance. Paul's prayer was that when he stood trial, he would speak courageously for Christ and not be timid or ashamed. Okay? Whether he lived or died, he wanted to exalt Jesus Christ. As it turned out, he was released from his imprisonment but arrested again two or three years later. Only faith in Christ could sustain Paul in such adversity. Okay? In chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, to those who do not believe in God, life on earth is all there is. Okay? And it's so, and it is natural for them to strive for this world's values. Money, popularity, power, pleasure, and prestige. For Paul, however, to live meant to develop eternal values and to tell others about Christ, who alone could help them see life from eternal perspective. Paul, whose purpose in life is to speak out boldly for Christ and to become more like him. Thus, Paul could confidently say that dying would even be better than living, because in death, he would be removed from worldly troubles and he would see Christ face to face. Big amen. 1 John 3, 2 to 3. If you're not ready to die, <laughs> then you're not ready to live. Make certain of your eternal destiny, okay? Then you'll be free to serve, devoting your life to what really counts without fear of death. One life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. Big amen there, right? Everything else we do down here for ourselves gets burned up and you can't take it with you. You can't take your rewards and your prestige and your honor from this world with you. Only what you do for Jesus and other, bring others into the kingdom comes with you. Big amen there, right? Once you think, there's, there's a movie, we're going to have to go we'll watch it. It's called The Beamer Seed. When we all stand before the Lord, all the people that we talked about Jesus that are in heaven, we all get, he gets glorified. That all the people you help get into the kingdom and all the sorrows and everything, he opens the books and he says, this is what you lived for after I saved you. And the books were opened and the Lord just revealed everything. The things that he didn't do that he should have 
and all the things that he did do that he did. Then it all gets burned up and then we all go to heaven and everything was happy. But the, the Lord opens the book. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Or do you want to hang your head in shame and say, Lord, I just lifted myself after you saved me. That's the question you have to ask yourself as a Christian. Okay? In verse 24 of chapter 1, Paul had a purpose for living when he served the Philippians and others. We also need a purpose for living that goes beyond providing for our own physical needs. Okay? Whom can you serve or help? What is your purpose for living? I'm quiet, right? I know what mine is because I gave my life over to Jesus. Because other than that, I'd be dead. It's either I'm going to run with the devil or I'm going to run with Jesus. I'm not running with the devil anymore. He's all done. I said, here's what I said. And this is the truth. I served the devil faithfully before I found Jesus. I ran with him. And he ran with me. And he loved me. And I loved him. Then in the end, when I'm almost dead, Jesus put the light on. Then he said, if you can serve me like you served him, I'll change your life forever. But you can't have both, John. You can't go out there and serve yourself and live for yourself and think that you're going to serve me and have a joyous life. He says you're going to be miserable even more. Once you're enlightened, then you go back into the darkness again. It's even worse than it was before. So I made a decision. Now faithfully I served the devil, I'm going to serve the Lord more faithfully. He gave me that faithfulness. So now I serve him faithfully. And here I am today, still alive and breathing to tell about it. Amen. Amen? But I, I can't go back into that world. You can't have both. You have to make a decision. Whether you're going to live for yourself or live for Jesus. Otherwise, you're going to come out deformed as a Christian. Half in the world and half in the word. It doesn't work. You've got to be, you know, when they gamble, they say, I'm all in. They push all the chips in. Well, when you decide to serve God... That's what he wants you to do. I'm all in. He wants all of you, not just pieces of you, all of you. He wants your time. He wants your talent. He wants your treasure. He wants your life. He says, if you give your life to me, I'll give your life back to you. Are you willing to make that change? Are you willing to make that step? Thank you, amen for this. This is the reason. Okay? Okay, in verse 27, Paul encourages the believers to be unified as they stand together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith. Okay? Which is the good news. How sad that much time and effort are lost in some churches by fighting against one another instead of united against the real opposition. It takes a courageous church to resist in fighting and to remain, common, remain the common purpose of serving Jesus Christ. And that's what this church is going to do, right? We're here for one purpose, to serve Jesus and his people. 
In verse 29, now listen up. Are we getting this? Okay. We don't want to miss any of this. Paul considered it a privilege to suffer for Jesus. Okay? We do not by nature consider suffering a privilege. Now do we? Yet, when we suffer, if we faithfully represent Christ, our message and example affect us in others for good. Like it tells us in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. Suffering has these additional benefits. Listen now. Number one, it takes your eyes off of earthly comforts. Two, it weeds out superficial believers. Three, it strengthens the faith of those who endure. Four, it serves as an example to others who may follow us. When we suffer for our faith, it doesn't mean that we have done something wrong. In fact, the opposite is often true. It verifies that we have been faithful. Use suffering to build your character. Don't resent it or let it tear you down. Any amen for this? Suffering builds our character. All right, the last one in verse 30. Throughout his life, Paul suffered for spreading the good news. Okay? Like the Philippians, we are in conflict with anyone who would discredit the saving message of Christ. All true believers are in this fight together, uniting against the same enemy for a common cause. Paul never urges Christians to seek suffering as if it were a virtue and pain, but we should not forget those who suffer. Okay? If your cupboard is full, share your food. If you control the wheels of power, work for justice and mercy. If you are wealthy, give generously to the poor. When life is comfortable, willingly take a share of someone else's pain and so tell the world that the gospel is true. Amen. How about an amen for that, right? So we just finished chapter one. That was a big amen there, right? There's a lot of stuff in there, right? We're learning about Jesus here, aren't we? We have a Christ-like attitude. All right. Let's break into Philippians chapter 2. Have the attitude of Christ. Oh, boy. How was your attitude today before I even get started? Did everybody have a Christ-like attitude this morning? Does everybody like Jesus today? Come on. We all come to church. A little bit. Yeah, we might, we might be again, maybe we'll get five minutes of it in, right? I know it was in prayer. <laughs> and even then he trips us up. <laughs> right? <laughs> all right. Have the attitude of Christ. Now listen to verse 1. He's talking to us here. Paul's trying to give us an important message tonight. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Listen, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Listen to me, when we talk about our brothers and sisters in here, it should be all good in building each one of us up. 
Not what's wrong with them. Look, there's something wrong with all of us. That's why we're in church. Stick around with somebody for five or ten minutes and you'll find something wrong with them. We're not here to find anything wrong with people. We're here to build up and encourage people. Amen? Go out in the world and, and tear people. The world tears people down. We're not to tear each other down in church. That's the devil's age trump in churches. Tearing each other down. Talking about each other. Running each other down. We're here to build each other up. If somebody's talking about one of your brothers and sisters in a negative way, you're just as guilty to listen to it. What you should be saying is, don't talk about my brother like that. That's my brother in Christ. And you should defend them. Not put your ear to it and agree with them. That's the height of Satan in the church. Look what it says in verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Four. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You want to get rid of all your problems? Take an interest in someone else's, and it makes your problems go away. Can I get an amen for this? Look at five. Look at verse 5. He doesn't say you should in verse 5. Look what he says. He says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Look what he says in verse 6. Though he was God, or being in the form of God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, or he emptied himself. He took the humble position of a slave. The God that created this world took the position of a slave, okay, and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Now, because he did that, what did God do? Look at verse 9. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. Jesus lowered and emptied himself, and then God placed him in the highest honor for doing it. That's how God does Christians. When you take the low position, then God places you in the highest honor. He doesn't place you in the highest honor because you're perfect, come to church on time, put the right amount of money in the basket. That's not what he honors. He honors your faithfulness to him and willingness to do whatever it takes to serve him. He, it requires us to die to self. That's what it requires. That's why you're going to be born again. What did Jesus say? Unless the kernel of wheat goes in the ground and dies, it remains useless. But when it sprouts, something new comes out of it, a new life. So what does he do? He puts us in the ground, our sinful nature, and he raises up in Christ as new creations. Amen? New spiritual creations. The problem is, we get to contend with this flesh now. We want to do the right thing, but we find ourselves doing the wrong thing because this flesh is in the way. Just imagine when we go home to be with the Lord. No more flesh to contend with. Bliss, happiness, joyous, no more sin nature anymore. How about a big amen for that? Who couldn't wait? I can't wait to go home with him. But I got to stay here to help others. 
Plus, God only takes the good ones anyway. <laughs> so I'm here for a while. I'm stuck here. <laughs> if you go back in the faith hall of fame, the Bible says they were too good for this world. Took them. <laughs> That'd be humbling, isn't it? Now look what it says in verse 9. We're going to close here. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Big amen there, amen? All right, we're going to close there. We're going to close with a, a, a prayer. You want to come up, David, and close us in prayer? Then we're going to have a, a song. Thank you for letting me share that tonight with you. Thank you. If we can bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Gracious Father, thank you for the honor and privilege it was tonight to hear a portion of your word, Lord. Lord, thank you for your guiding hand of peace, patience, and mercy, Lord God. Although we are all unworthy to receive it, thank you for the life of Christ that dwells in all of us, Lord. Thank you for this ministry, Lord. Lord, as we continue this walk with you, help us to be convinced of the many promises that you have given us, Lord, the eternal salvation that we constantly doubt, Lord, that we constantly doubt you and ourselves. Lord, strengthen us in the faith. Fortify our minds with scripture, Lord. Keep us in the word. And most importantly, keep us in church. Keep us fellowshipping with each other, Lord. Strengthen each other up, Lord. As in the human body, there are many muscles that move one bone. Help us all together move that one bone that is the church. And I pray that all of us tonight may take the words that were given to us, meditate on it, and grow. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, David.